Our second lesson uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, printed here for you in your liturgy. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatty calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead. has come back to life. He was lost. And it's been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our ears, O Lord. We might hear the gospel. We might be moved deeply to 
absorb and put ourselves in the posture of receiving our Creator God, our perfect parents, tireless love for us and for all people. In Jesus' name, amen. So remember that this, uh, this story of the prodigal son, so to speak, as, it's, as, it, as, as it has become popularly known as, has even worked its way into, I think, the Western consciousness. Remember that this, this story that has become familiar to many inside and outside the church Remember that this story comes as a response to sharply contrast the radical welcome of God for all people with the stingy way that many of us religious people weaken that welcome in one way or another based on our fears, our prejudices, what have you. Remember, this, this, this story, the story of the lost sons, I'll say lost sons plural, we'll get to that later, but um, the story of the lost sons comes after the story of the lost sheep, after the story of the lost coin, and it comes because the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. Jesus was welcoming them with open arms and open hearts. And the religious people in the room were saying, are you sure you want these people here around you at this time? And then Jesus rattles off three stories. Story of a lost coin, story of a lost sheep, and then finally the story of two lost sons. There's a poignancy and a tragedy that is powerful in this story of the two lost sons. Father full of love and two sons that just aren't understanding his love. One son, the reason we call it two lost sons, one son is at home, but he's living like a hired hand. One son who outright rebels and leaves. But each of the sons have something in common. Each of the sons have constructed identities for themselves that cause them to live at great distance from their father's love for them. Apparently, the son who stays home thinks that he has to earn his father's approval and love. The son that leaves thinks that there's something that he can do that will cause him to never get it back. How wrong both of them are. How wrong both of them are. Each of them apparently had constructed identities for themselves that kept them at distance from their parents' love their parents' unconditional love. The son that stays home, he doesn't like the party, 
Why does he not like the party? Because he feels like that he has been doing all these things to earn his father's love. Yet his father says to him, you should have known that everything here is at your disposal. He didn't know that. The son who leaves, well, obviously he doesn't get it. and That's why he leaves. It's a reminder to us, getting back to why it is that Jesus tells these three stories of lost things that are found and then lost people who are found. It should be a very strong reminder to us when we remember that the reason why Jesus told these three stories is because there were people around him who wanted him who wanted to be stingy with God's welcome and stingy with God's love, kind of like the elder brother in this story and it reminds us that the only way that we can really learn how to lean into God's welcome of all people the only way that we can really learn how to lean into Paul's challenge that we no longer see people from a human point of view but we see them through the eyes of Jesus The only way that we can recognize that we are not those who own God's welcome, but those who stewards, we steward God's welcome. The only way that we can really live into all that is if we understand that all of us are here simply because of God's unconditional welcome and love. If you have something good in your life, if you have forgiveness, if you have stature, if you have anything that you name as good, it is because of God's unconditional love and welcome. Everything is gift. And when everything is gift, you don't see it anymore that you're the one that is in charge of welcoming and loving others, or you're the one that's in charge of whether or not you're good enough to be welcomed by God. No. That's seeing people from a human point of view. That's even seeing yourselves from a human point of view. We no longer see the world, ourselves, or others from a human point of view. Because we no longer see Jesus from a human point of view. So obviously... Uh, as I've been mentioning, I do think that this story of the two lost sons is about welcome, and it's a challenge to God's people collectively as a community. I think that's important. It's important in our hyper-individualistic ways of reading Scripture sometimes to remember that this is a story about how communities behave together. But I do think that we would be silly to leave this passage without recognizing there's application, robust application here for us as individual people too. It's really interesting to come back to these great narratives like this parable year after year. Because each time that I come back, to a text that I preached before and sometimes preached lots and lots of times before, 
I see new layers and sometimes deeper and more profound meanings and applications. Now this time around, I, I was struck by the poignancy of the story. Two sons that just didn't understand how much their father loved them. Um, sidebar here for a second. Uh, this week I was listening to this, this, uh, this great piece on NPR. Maybe you heard it about the Bruce Springsteen song, Born in the USA. Uh, you know, it's, it's become sort of an anthem song uh, about being proud to be an American. Uh, but, but the song is really has its roots in a protest song that Springsteen wrote about a Vietnam vet you know, who was born in the USA, but the USA was not helping him very much when he got back from Vietnam, not loving on him after he returned from the war. Over the years, you know, the song has evolved, and the verses don't so much stand out in the song. It was an interesting uh, piece because Springsteen said something I never heard him say before. Not that I'm a Springsteen expert, but... Um, he said, you know, the blues of, of, of my songs are in the verses. And, and the anthems, the positives in my songs are in the, in the chorus. And so, you know, over the years, it's the chorus, Born in the USA, that has become, you know, this kind of defiant, I am going to make it. I am going to have pride in who I am despite how I'm being treated. Um, but when I was, I was listening to that piece the same day that I was thinking about, thinking about and working on this sermon for today, and I was thinking about how this parable, you know, you can hear it in two different ways, right? I mean, this, this story of these two lost sons, if you approach it from one way, it's, you know, oh my goodness, here are two sons that are just loved so deeply by their father. And each one of them has constructed an identity that has separated them from that love, that has distanced them from that love. That's sad. That's sad. That's a, that is really, really sad. And I think maybe one of the reasons why Jesus perhaps tells the story with some sadness woven into what's overall a really joyful story, perhaps it's because he's so disturbed by the people around him who seem to be so focused on who to welcome and who not to welcome. And so he tells a story about a sheep that's lost. He tells a story about a coin that's lost. And he focuses on the finding of the lost things as being what's really important. And then maybe this story has this line of sadness and tragedy in it to just shock people. And, and get them to see that, oh my goodness, you know, our focus is never to be on how we imagine God's welcome, but our focus is to be on stewarding God's lovely welcome of all people. But that, too, I'm drifting back towards the community implications of this passage But that, too, has resonance for us as we think about how to individually apply this great truth here. We have to get in touch, I think, a little bit 
with the sadness that we have in our hearts for not imagining ourselves to be as deeply loved by God as God loves us. The degree to which we will lean into receiving the gifts that God has for us that help us to flourish as human beings, the degree to which we will gladly offer to God the dark parts of our heart where we need his light to shine, the degree to which we do that is ultimately tied in direct proportion to how much it is that we believe that God loves us and how much our focus should be on God's love for us and not our ability to live in such a way as to get God to love us. Commenting on this parable of the prodigal son, Henri Nouwen talks about how uh, it has helped him over the years to understand how much God loves him. I'm going to quote now. Maybe some of you can relate to this passage from now on. Quote, For most of my life I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I fail many times, but have always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I've sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me. To know me. To love me. The question is not, how am I to find God? But how am I to let myself be found by God? The question is not, how am I to know God? But how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God? But how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, longing to bring me home. End of quote. I wrote about this years ago. I'm beginning to see how radically the character of my spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God as hiding out, making it as difficult as possible for me to find him, but instead as the one who's doing the looking when I'm doing the hiding. Now these questions like this, they raise real issues of our own self-concept. Are we like the sons in this story that construct identities that make us distant from God? distant from God's love? Do we imagine darkly that God does not have our interest, our best interest at hearts? Do we, do we believe that there's a real desire in God's heart simply to hold us close, to hold us close, to be with us like you want to be with a friend or loved one? I preached this, as I mentioned briefly at communion recently, I preached this passage a little bit differently to a group of my colleagues when we had the privilege of hosting 
the uh, Reformed Church in America city classes meetings uh, in, in Chicago during the worship service and uh, confessed to them that, you know, after uh, 30 years of ordained ministry, um, I'm still trying to answer that question. Do I really think that at the heart of it all, God simply wants to be near to us, to love us, and to change us through his love. It's a worthwhile thing to ponder. It's a worthwhile thing to pray about. It may be a worthwhile thing to go to therapy about, find out why it is that you and I throw up as many barriers to God's love and acceptance as we sometimes do. But like the Springsteen song that can be heard as blues and can be heard as anthem, maybe the reason ultimately that he doesn't care that it's evolved to be an anthem of hope, I'm going to piggyback on that illustration a little bit, just to say that I do think that if we're going to understand the arc of this narrative, the two lost sons, we have to hear it as primarily one of joyful hope. Why? Because the star of this story are, is, the star of the story is neither one of the sons. And you know that. The star of the story is the God figure in the story. The God figure of the story, of course, is the father who doesn't allow the sons to construct identities that will separate them from his love. But he reconstructs his relationships with his sons so that they will understand how much he loves them and how much they ought to love each other. Remember, the brother says, this son of yours, and the father turns around and says this, I mean, he says, this son of yours, and, and, uh, and he turns around and says, your brother. <laughs> your brother. The father's the star of the story, and Miroslav Vov says it this way. The most significant aspect of the story is that the father who lets the son depart does not let go of the relationship between them. The eyes that searched for and finally caught sight of the son in the distance tell of a heart that was with the son in the distant country. Away from home, the son remains still, still in the father's heart. Against the force of the wrongdoing suffered and the shame endured that sought to push the son out, the father kept the son in his heart as an absence shaped by the memory of the former presence. Please think of God in that way. When you come to the communion table each week, until you get to the communion table, you are in a sense um, an absence that God is waiting for. Uh, that's the heart of God, to never let go of us. And that's the heart of the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.